What's good, Tony? How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You have a good Lord's Day? Yeah, yeah, it was good. We had uh, worship. We started Bible study tonight, so that's always a uh, always a pleasure and a joy. And yeah, a little bit of storm today, so the temperatures are down. It's not as hot. Sounds good to me. This is episode two, man. It is. We made it. We made it out of. We the made it initial, to episode two. <laughs> the internet episode. did not. The internet did not shut us down. <laughs> I, I did. I don't know if they can, but I thought they might. Yeah, I'm just happy this is like our one episode anniversary. Like we've literally yes. increased our episode catalog by a hundred percent. I know. How many people can say that? I mean, how many podcasts can say they've they've literally doubled the number of episodes they've had? Yeah, I I love this. We are already crushing podcasting. Yes. It's it's fantastic. How was your Lord's Day? It was great. Thanks. Yeah, same type of experience. Got to lead some worship this morning, which was great. And just always good to be in the Lord's house and worship with his people. So basically what we talked about last week, being part of the church is a fantastic thing. I just highly recommend the church. Yes, all, all that's a it. good recommendation. That's our first reco of all of our podcasts. <laughs> it's our first reco. Yeah, I, I recommend mean, the church as well. I feel like it's we're just going big with that one, but you know. Yeah. I love it. So here's what I was thinking about recently. Something I wanted to ask you was, I've been thinking a lot about vocation and that's like a buzzword. You hear that a lot of Christian circles, you hear it secularly as well. And I guess what I want to start with was what's like your best summary of vocation work in kind of the reform tradition, like, which is something we have in common. So I'm curious, first of all, what's like a thumbnail sketch of how that kind of tradition perceives vocation and maybe how, how is it like separate from perhaps different worldviews, especially those like in various streams of like Christian theology? Sure. So vocation is actually one of those things that um, really was a huge thing coming out of the Reformation that we don't often uh, think about. So, you know, in the reform tradition, we try to land heavy on the solas and we we think about justification by faith alone, and we think about sola scriptura and, and all of those things. But another thing that really came out of the Reformation is this idea that all work, whether it's work in the church, uh, kind of professional ministry, or as we might call it now, vocational ministry, um, the idea is that it's not just the priests or the pastors who have important jobs. But um, everybody who is working and does so to the glory of God also has an important job. So that was something that Luther and, and Calvin really both kind of stress is they tried to divide. I tried to reduce the division between kind of the sacred and the secular. So the reform tradition looks at work and says that, um, you know, in the garden, uh, Adam's first task was to work the garden and, um, you know, it proceeds from there. We see work as a major theme throughout uh, the, the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's like, my... <laughs> and that's like really, really different than like even what I hear a lot of people speaking about in terms of how their their system of faith integrates with the things that they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the idea that everything we do is service to God and that everything we do is for God's glory is my, why are you laughing? Is my voice really chipmunk? <laughs> yeah, is it really? Action. I'm sorry. It's, it's all good. 
this is this is what we get with a live podcast, folks. Yeah, this we're not is, really live, but we we don't do any editing. This is totally unscripted. This is just straight raw. So what I was hearing was probably most of Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, or at least like the Chipmunks describing the reform perspective on <laughs> work and vocation. It That's was great. Epic. Like I was expecting somebody just to yell Alvin Simon Theodore at any given Alvin. point. All right. So, what were we talking about? Vocation? Yeah. What, what was that again? Um, so, no, yeah, I'm I'm totally down with what you're saying. That is the way I kind of remember it as well. This emphasis on community. It's interesting you said the community of priests because that's a lot of the time where I go with this. And I think even now the way we talk about it, it's somewhat unexpected to think about the fact that God has remove the need, like, you know, kind of in the Roman perspective, like remove the need for like a, a priestly mediator on earth and has somehow in a way decentralized that to the community of faith. And as we are a community of priests, being able to be empowered then to go out like into the vocation, what God has equipped or empowered you to do, that is something that's really special. And I, I don't know if you see it, but I, I don't see a lot of that discussed or Sometimes I don't really see that has a, a strong impact on how people view their professions. Yeah, so so maybe we should back up a little bit. So the word vocation, um, you know, that's one of those buzzwords that it, it's funny that you mention you you hear it in like secular environments because the word means like calling. And so right. I wonder sometimes when I hear people talk about like, well, this is my calling in life. I kind of want to step back, you know, when I'm, I'm dealing with an atheist and say like, well, who's calling, like, who's, who's the one doing the calling. Um, and really, you know, really what it is, is it's just one of those like leftover vestiges of language from back in the day where, you know, everybody had some sort of sense that there was a God, even if they weren't following him. Um, you know, and so we, we think about the fact that somebody is calling, and so as Christians, we would clearly um, identify that it's it's God who's calling. So whether I'm called into formal ministry um, or whether I'm called into um, some sort of secular job, whether it's an office or um, something that might seem glamorous, you know, on some level like police work or being a firefighter, there's a level of prestige with that. Or whether it's just sort of, you know, I'm a janitor at the local high school or I, you know, I deliver the mail every day and, it, you know, kind of a thankless job is as Christians, we would recognize that God calls us into into our work and expects us to do our work uh, as service to him, not just kind of as something that pays the bills. So let's get personal on this, because I, I got a question for you about your particular background, which I think is kind of interesting. So sure. You have been to seminary and you have two degrees to that effect and you do something very different than one might, what one might think you would do by looking like just at your resume, for instance. So like, sure. how, how, what's the journey been for you on that? Yeah. So, um, it, well, even, even before seminary, when I started, uh, college, I, I didn't go to a Bible college, but I went to a liberal arts school that, um, had a Bible program. And I started out as a, um, a youth ministry major. And so I went into college thinking I was going to go into youth ministry. And, um, you know, that wasn't my calling. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what I found was you know, when I was in, when I was in um, college, I had a couple professors who pulled me aside and very gently said, you know, we think you would, would do fine as a youth pastor, but 
um, you really seem like academics is really more your style. So I, I kind of took a took a left turn and decided to go a more academic route. So when I got uh, into seminary, I decided I was going to, you know, it's kind of a stepping stone to go on to a PhD program and then eventually teach and publish, which um, I would still love to do someday. Um, but, you know, you, you, you get to that kind of a place in life and things happen and it doesn't always go the way you expect it to. And, um, you know, when I left Minnesota to drive to Boston, I didn't expect to meet a girl. I didn't expect for any of that to happen in seminary. And, um, you know, I'd always wanted to get married someday, but um, once I got married, you know, there's responsibilities that you have as a husband. Um, and that doesn't always include, you know, studying for 12 hours a day and working part time and things like that. And so, you know, when when Ashley and I got married, um, we had a long discussion about it and we, you know, we, did, we talked about it. And the decision was made that I needed to, at least for a time, uh, I needed to just work and pay down some school loans and kind of focus on that. And so I worked a variety of jobs. Um, I worked for Best Buy doing computer repair for a while. And I worked for um, the Connecticut Health Exchange um, kind of temporarily. And then when we moved back to New Hampshire, I got a job at the local hospital where I work as a secretary in the kidney transplant department. Um, so I, I don't typically use my, my master's degrees in theology and church history much when I'm scheduling appointments for people to have like ultrasounds and EKGs and stuff. Um, but it, it's interesting because I just, you know, I just had a performance review and, and my, my manager kind of said to me like, you know, you're really overqualified for this job. Um, do you ever feel like dissatisfied or do you ever feel like the work you're doing here is beneath you? And um, the reason she was saying that was because we were in kind of a frustrating transition in the department and some of my own frustrations had kind of spilled over into my work. Um, but I was able to reassure her and say, you know, I, I'm not above anything. Like there's no job that a Christian should feel like they're above regardless of their education. Um, you know, whether I'm scheduling appointments for somebody to have a stress test and check out their heart or helping them coordinate, um, you know, appointments to see social workers and financial coordinators and all the stuff that attends transplant. Um, that's work that for now, at least God has called me into doing. And the reason I know he's called me into doing it is because he's blessed me with the job that he's given. Um, it's not like I look at the job I have and say, oh man, God must just be like, I don't know what, did he just drop the ball? And this is like what was left over for me. Um, obviously not like God doesn't drop the ball. Right. Absolutely. So I look at it and I can say, well, for whatever reason that I may or may not understand, um, God has blessed me with this job, which means he's also called me to this job. So, so that's kind of my story. And, you know, that's where I'm at in terms of, um, what I do with my degree. Um, I joke a lot that like God sent me to seminary so I can win arguments on the internet. Um, which is, you know, kind of a funny thing to think about, but, but there's actually sort of a, an element of truth to it is that, um, I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, Facebook is my ministry because that's, it's not, but, um, there certainly are a lot of people that I interact with online and even through things like this podcast and other projects that I've worked on, um, there are people that I interact with online that I can see really clearly have benefited because God has equipped me with a certain level of theological knowledge and church history and things like that. Um, so even if I never, never do anything formal with my degree, um, uh, being able to serve the church and to preach once in a while when they're, you know, when pulpit supply is needed, 
um, or to present a paper at a conference. All of those things are ways that God uses you know, the, the skills that he blessed me with by sending me to seminary that don't necessarily involve like professional vocational ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I think that's, in some ways it seems like you're, you're bringing about kind of like a larger perspective of what God is doing in your life through our work, that it isn't always just what we do professionally, but clearly I like what you said about keeping it practical in the sense that you know about calling because you know the ways in which God has blessed meaningful work in your life. Right. And yeah, I, that's a really great way to phrase it. I mean, I think that a lot of people do get tied up on the – either paralyzed because like they don't have the job they think they want or they're not going to you – know, they're going to school for one thing and they'd really like to be doing something else. And it, I don't know. I think God sometimes uses all those things to refine us. I think sometimes he gives us jobs to teach us what – we will find to be meaningful what he helps us to explore the turn of mind that he's given us. And sometimes we're blessed in ways that we didn't expect because we would have never applied for that job under different circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like even just, you know, to, to sort of bring it, uh, hopefully not too much of a downer spot, but um, you know, my, my father passed away. He, he didn't pass away. He died. I hate the term pass away, but it's so much a part of our language that I can't get away from it. But my dad died in October last year. So it's almost been a year and, um, he died of kidney disease. And so, you know, when he was first sick, I was in seminary. So I was on the other side of the country and I didn't really understand what was going on. I didn't know how the different things were affecting his body. I didn't understand how dialysis works. All these things were very mysterious to me. And, um, God then saw fit to give me a job where I work in a renal unit where I help people with their dialysis fistulas and I help them get those surgeries scheduled. And I help people with kidney transplants. And the, the really sad part of it is sometimes I have to hear about patients who've made the same decision that my family did to give up on dialysis and to just let nature take its course. Um, but that was really kind of cleansing and cathartic for me. And I remember real distinctly, you know, when my dad, after they, after we made the decision to, to stop dialysis and to switch to palliative care, um, there was this sweet, sweet old man, um, who came into the clinic for some visit. We share our offices with the nephrology unit and he came in for an appointment in that department. And one of the nurses who knew what was going on with my family, um, she was walking him to the door and she just kind of looked at me and said, do you want to take this one? And in that really small way, I was able to help that person. And in, in a very personal sense, it was like I was taking care of my dad as he was dying. Um, and so even little things like that, it's very clear when God, you know, you see these things that God sort of sprinkles in your path that you never would put those things together. Um, I would have never, when, when my dad was, you know, starting to get sick, I would have never said, well, someday I'm going to work in a kidney transplant unit and I'm going to understand what my dad's illness was like. And I'm going to understand right. what, what transplant would have done to him. Um, there was a part of me that was really frustrated that we never, we never pursued transplantation with my dad. Um, I know now that there was no possible way it was an option. His, his illness wouldn't have allowed for it, but all of the frustration and even potential anger towards the decisions that my my mother and my sister, who is still in Minnesota, and rightfully so, was involved in my dad's care more than I was. Any sort of frustration 
is gone because God has blessed me with this sort of out of the way job that I never would have even thought to apply for if I didn't need, just need a job. I didn't need to work. Um, he blessed me through that. And I think far too often, you know, people go to school and they get a degree in one field, whether it's a, you know, a theology related field or just another field that they, they like and they want to study, they get a degree in one field and then they, they are resentful when they can't find work in that field. And I think so often we miss the kinds of things that God is wanting to do in our lives and the blessings he wants to give us through those other kinds of, those other kinds of work that we wouldn't necessarily think of. Yeah. And I, what you just said resonates with me because it seems like what a practical way to embody the scriptures where we understand that God comforts us with a very comfort that he desires for us to apply in other people's lives. And that's like a living, that's some living proof right there. Yeah. So, so what do you think about like, um, bivocational pastors? So obviously your father is a, well, he's not a bivocational pastor cause he's like a, like an octuple vocational pastor, <laughs> but, um, you know, in the, the environment we live in pastors, most pastors can't be just pastors. They almost always have to take on some sort of other secondary work. So do, what do you think about that? Obviously you're not opposed to it, but no, yeah, I'm listen, I'm totally down with it. Plus, nobody has a greater work ethic in my opinion than my father who works like a million yeah. jobs. Yeah. Uh, because that's what the Lord has called him to, and he does it without complaining and is incredibly patient. I think there's something special about that actually. I think that there's something, like you said, that God uses in the pastoral ministry that provides like it's an extra blessing of rounding and of influence and of discipline that's really special in bivocational ministry. And I think that in a sense, he calls all of us to that, at least those who are lay people in the church, and that should be really serving and being a part of the body, as we kind of talked about last week. But beyond that as well are, you know, as Paul would encourage, making a decent wage to support their families and to be responsible for that. So I'm totally down with it. I think as long as it's not like a detriment to the ministry itself. But the bottom line is, as you said, if, if we trust God to be in control of all of our finances, and this is the way that he's kind of meted that out is by having responsibility in the church and then one elsewhere, whatever that may be, then I, I think he uses that again to really refine our teachers and our preachers in special ways. Yeah, and I think that's the case too. Um, that said though, I want anyone who's hearing this, if you're in a church that has the capacity to pay your pastor a livable wage where he can support his family and not have to divide his his efforts um, and his time and energy between other things, then you shouldn't do everything in your power to make sure that the church does that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are a lot of instances where churches have the resources, but they treat their, their church like a business and they can kind of like, cut some by, by, well, the pastor can get another job, you know, that's fine. Right. Um, what does he do all those other hours that aren't Sunday morning anyways? Um, you know, I, I think that's another one of those things that I didn't, I lacked perspective on until I, I got not only involved in ministry myself in, in a lot of ways, but until, you know, I saw sort of the inner workings of a bivocational pastor to see how much effort has to go into, um, planning and and executing a sermon um, that in itself most people don't recognize for sure but then to add on top of that all the responsibilities of another job 
um, during the week and the things that come along with that in terms of travel time and, and other uh, expectations and other things that that take away from the ministry in a lot of ways. Um, it's a very delicate balance and sometimes it's really hard to do. It would seem to me that it would always be preferable that the pastor would be able to entirely focus all of his resources on serving the church through actual pastoral care and preparation study and preaching of the word. But you're right. I mean, there are situations where it just can't be so. And it's really interesting. I think my gut is that God is calling special people to those roles. I mean, I know several people that are bivocational and it does seem that God has uniquely called them to that kind of opportunity and they really lean into it and they embrace it. And there are others have been part of, like we said, large churches where, I mean, even the, the opportunity, the job of a pastor, if you're part of a large church, and even if you're on staff, even there, it's bivocational in the sense that it, not many churches afford you just the opportunity to go and study and preach and do nothing else, which would be yeah. great. Like that would be my dream if I were going to be a pastor is just to like hang out in a room, like with big yeah. leather chairs and yeah, read exactly. like thick tomes and then just write like super awesome sermons by the power of the spirit. But the fact of the matter is it's, you know, the church has so many dimensions to it, the, the financial and the emotional and all of the, the demographic and the presentation, all that stuff. So it, it really takes a unique individual to be called by God to do that stuff. And, you know, in some small churches, it's just not possible. So uh, it's just, I, I just give them a lot of credit, those that are serving by vocationally, it's just f- fantastic. But so also those who are really can devote all their time uh, to a single congregation because they're able to by the livable wage that they're paid. I think that's also excellent. I think just God uses them each in their own season, in their own way to bring about a really like, fruitful harvest. Yeah. So what about people who aren't sure kind of what their calling is? Like, what do you, what do you think is a good way for people to sort of discern and, and understand that? I mean, let's, let's get real practical. If someone you know, you, you have a friend and they say, I just don't know, you know, maybe they're younger, maybe it's someone from your church that you're kind of mentoring and they say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God's calling me to. Like, where do we go with that? Real practical. Yes. I like that. So one of the things I get to do at least part-time is do some teaching at a Christian college. And I'm always running into students who really struggle with the meaning of vocation and how it's applied which I find fascinating. And because what I'm mostly teaching, my experience is in finance and economics, and those are the courses that I teach. I found what's crazy interesting is that many of these business students have this like self-imposed sense of guilt or mediocrity because they're going to a Christian school. And what they sense, though nobody's really explicitly said this to them, is that in life, especially in this Christian bubble, there's like higher work and there's lower work. And the higher work is God's work. So if you're starting to be like a youth pastor or even better, like a missionary or a, any kind of pastoral role, that is God's work. If you, for whatever reason, want to do accounting, that's great. But if you could smuggle in some Christian values, that's like the best you can hope for. Yeah, maybe like give out some Dave Ramsey books while you're, you know, while you're... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like nobody's saying like what you're doing is like invalid, you're not a child of God, it's not that God has a plan for your life. It's none of that. But there is this like really subtle, like below the surface that we don't often speak of kind of sense of like, you know, 
Like I'm going to look at the floor and, and kick up a stone and say, well, I'm just a business major. Like I don't, right, right. I'm not going to be a pastor or lead a church. And so we often have conversations like, well, how do I know? And what I usually explain, like the best advice I can give is something you pretty much already said. And that was seek after the Lord. And as he opens up opportunities for you to work professionally, he is going to certainly guide you and illuminate you in that process. But that I always explain that because of what God has done through us through Jesus Christ, and especially what we just talked about in terms of the reformers, bringing back to us the appropriate weight that God is big enough that all things give him glory, all professions, if you mean them to. You know, like the pastor preaching and the man with the slop bucket, all of those things can give God glory if you mean them mean for them too. That the best thing you can do is just reach out and take those opportunities. Like, especially with vocation, it seems to me there's so many people who, as I said before, become so paralyzed with trying to make a good decision. What does God want me to do? That when the job opens up into their life, um, they're just reluctant to take it because it's not what they had in mind. And I can say from my own personal experience, the job that I hold now, which besides the teaching, I was not qualified to have. And I have found by doing it that I absolutely love it. And it involves things that I didn't even know existed before I applied for it. So it's almost as if, well, it's certainly as if we often say God knows us better than ourselves. But by that, we don't sometimes know what we mean. We just presume because he's the creator. But in this case, he knew me far better than I knew myself because this is stuff I'm doing I would never have imagined. And I absolutely love it. And he's made me for it. And that's that's been very clear. So my advice is, Go and do, pray hard, and then go and do, follow through with what God puts into your life. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wonder sometimes how much of sort of this like existential angst that people, you know, kind of our generation and like the generation after us, how much of it is related to the fact that we have all these options in front of us, you know, in, in previous True. generations and in, in ancient times, not even that ancient, you know, we're talking like 60 years ago, 70 years ago, you didn't really get to choose like what you did. Like you took, usually you like, you took over your father's business. So like if your dad was a shoemaker, then you were a shoemaker. If your dad was a baker, then you were a baker. And, you know, now we have so much flexibility and freedom that it's actually really kind of rare for a kid to follow in their parents' footsteps. Um, it, maybe like pastoral ministry might be only like one of the only ones I know of that has like a really strong tradition of, mm-hmm. you know, sons following in their father's footsteps. But I don't really, I don't know anybody that I can think of that took up their father's work just because that's what they wanted to do. But even then it would be because that's what they chose to do. I don't know anybody that right. was kind of forced into a certain vocation because of what their father did or what their family did other than people who maybe like, they inherited the family business and that would have cost them too much money to like just shut it down. Um, I don't know. That's more just musing, but it, it seems like there's a lot of um, angst that I'm just not sure is necessary. You know, I read, I read um, ordinary by Mike Horton and it's just a phenomenal book. Um, and, and the whole point of the book is basically um, it's sort of, I don't think it was intentionally a response to David Platt's radical, but it kind of ends up being that as David Platt publishes this book called Radical and the whole kind of the whole point of the book is like, go out and do amazing things for God. And I don't think he would um, summarize the book that way. I think he's more talking about like 
being a Christian already is radical. But he talks a lot about like, you know, go on missions, go do things like that, um, you know, do amazing things. And then Mike Horton comes along and he kind of recognizes that like this is creating sort of this um, dissatisfied state that so many Christians live in where it's like if I'm not um, if I'm not starting an organization that, um, you know, feeds AIDS orphans in sub-Saharan Africa, then what I'm doing isn't really worthwhile. Now, that's a great thing to do if that's what God yeah, has called sure. you to. Um, you know, your your friend Ryan started an organization that is doing amazing things. Um, and it's clear that he's called to that. I, yeah, obviously, you know, that whole organization and Ryan better than I do, but our church supports him. And I, I read about the things that are going on and we pray for him, how often he's doing these transatlantic flights. And I'm like, man, that really takes a special calling. But Horton comes along and he sort of paints this picture that like working our job in the secular field and loving your wife well and raising your children well and serving your community well being there in your community when your neighbor needs help um you know i was at i i was at taco bell the other day um it's terrible for you but i love it so much and i went to taco bell on my lunch break because i have um i've been driving home to take care of the puppy on my lunch break and on fridays i don't have to do that so i went into town to do a little bit of shopping on my lunch break and i got taco bell and um, this this little old woman with a walker is trying to lift her tray and carry her walker and not spill stuff on the ground. And I watched her for about 30 seconds to see if anybody else was going to jump in. And nobody did. And it's a small example, but I could be a good neighbor to that person because I was on a lunch break from a job in a secular industry at Taco Bell in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. Um, and that's just a small example, you know, when, when you have a neighbor who needs help shoveling their driveway or raking their leaves, like those are things that we can do to serve our community that are completely ordinary things, but how radical is it in our society to be devoted to loving your wife? Well, to be devoted to raising your children well, to be devoted to doing a good job in whatever job you have and not always being discontent and looking for the next promotion or the next thing that you can do. Right. I love that you just drew a straight line through vocation and Taco Bell. Taco Bell is, I mean, it it takes a special calling to, to eat at Taco Bell. It's a special, it's a call south of the border. So maybe yes, we can get some does. like uh, some sponsorship money from Taco Bell next time. I, I think we the south of the border calling. Yes, yes. I'm not going to bet on that money from Taco Bell. So because so it sounds like what you're saying, and I I totally am down with this. Is that we're almost? It sounds like both of us are almost kind of saying all callings are special. Like you, yes. wherever God wants to put you, He's going to put you. But. And it's not even just because, and I totally agree with this, it can be this, but it's not even just when we say kind of in a cliche or cast aside way, well, my workplace is my mission field. That's absolutely true, but it's true everywhere. Wherever you go, you should, of course, be trying to be salt and light. But the fact of the matter is every industry needs truth. Every industry needs like honest and straightforward and disciplined, hardworking people who want to satisfy their Lord in their work. And that is going to be unique and radical. I'm I'm convinced no matter where you work, what you're doing, if you get up saying, God has given me so much. I love the Lord. I see his glory. I see his glory reflected in the good work he wants me to do. 
and I'm just going to go out and do that well and take satisfaction in that. That is unique because even if you're sitting side by side with somebody else, so let's say is working just as hard as you are, if the motive is different, if the intent is different, then the content will, will be different. It, that's just how it is. Intent is always going to precede content. So I, I think that it's just tremendously important for us to wake up and preach that to ourselves, to, to remind ourselves that God does give a calling and the calling is always important. It's never subpar. It's never mediocre because of what you're doing. And those are divine appointments, although I, I kind of sometimes get weary of that that cliche, but those divine appointments are tremendous. They are what shape us and they are what bring glory to God. Yeah. You mean like we're not all Esther? We're not, it's not, it's not all for such a time as this. I was waiting till when Esther was just going to pop right into this conversation and and just blow it wide open. I think we should try to um, always quote one of the two books that uh, has the title of a name of a woman in our show called The Reformed Brotherhood. So we'll have to try to make sure that happens. But no, seriously, though, like, I mean, Esther, Esther, in many ways, I think does kind of exemplify this, like hers was kind of a grand story. Like, you know, it's yeah, it is. It's almost it almost and I'm going to get hate mail about this, but it's almost written like a fairy tale. Right. This this young orphan woman um, rises to prominence in the kingdom of the, the great king. And she's the most beautiful and everybody's captivated by her beauty and she saves her people. So it's like this grand this grand story. But in reality, she was just kind of doing the best she could to be faithful in the station that God had called her to. And that's kind of like, that's Mordecai's whole point is that who knows if God has called you for such a time as this, who knows when, um, you know, someone in my department is going to experience a tragedy and is going to need somebody who can help them understand what it means to grieve with, uh, with like those to not grieve like those who have no hope, but to show them what it means to grieve like someone who has hope. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that we can't even imagine. And if we don't take the time to recognize that, as you said, every calling is special. It's not special because of in and of itself, but it's special because it's God who's called. So exactly. God doesn't do anything that's not worthy of glory and worthy of honor. And, you know, I hear people complain about their jobs and it frustrates me sometimes because like, you know, we hear about like, oh, joblessness in this country is is basically nothing right now. We're back at like full employment and I'm going, we're not back at full employment. There's no right. way we're back at full employment. Come look at all of the places up here where there are people who don't have work and there are people who struggle to find jobs. And, you know, they just announced at my hospital that they're going to be laying off three to five percent of the staff because we had like a hundred million dollar deficit last year. And there are a lot of people who are really scared. So I get really frustrated when people like complain about their jobs because for every person who's complaining about their job, I guarantee you there's someone else who would love to have that job. But even more than that, when Christians complain, you know, Paul says, I don't have the quote in front of me, but Paul says, I think it's in Philippians, do everything without complaining and grumbling. And Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not just like, well, you shouldn't complain about church. You shouldn't complain about missions. Do everything without complaining or grumbling. If you're a janitor, clean the floor without complaining or grumbling. If you're a person who works in a bank with finance, look at your spreadsheets and do your math and do all of that stuff without complaining or grumbling. You can see how little I know about banks and math. And <laughs> yeah, finance. that was that but, was right on. 
spreadsheets and, and numbers, right? Just spreadsheets and the numbers. And that. Yeah, I don't know anything about what you do. What yeah, this has now become like a, a bona fide financial podcast. Like that yes. summarized the entire industry. Yes, spreadsheets and numbers. Perfectly. Um, but, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, the ins and outs of your job are not – they're not necessarily important as far as the meticulous everything is not world-changing. But God has called you to it. And if the creator has decided that this is the right thing for you, who he's created, just like you said, God knows us. He's designed us for a specific task at a specific time. And we should be thankful when he calls us into his service, whatever the task is. And I'm definitely not saying that there aren't people that are, are frustrated in their work and that that's a real concern. And like you said, there's real angst there. At the same time, we have to try to understand what God is doing in our lives, how he might be even sanctifying us through those types of, of processes. So it's just important to, I think, continue to be faithful in the place where God has put you and that there's going to be some kind of unique burden that he's going to lay on you as a mantle of which you can carry the cross and wear him well, so to speak, in front of those whom you're around. There's also a lot to be said for, you know, one of the things I really struggled with a couple of years ago was how it's funny how we think of kind of double speak carries a negative connotation, but I found I was doing it in my own life in kind of a strange way in that you know, often we think of double speak of saying something behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to their face. I was doing it though in this like over spiritual sense in that, you know, if I was with a group of people that I knew and loved, if I was with a small, my small group and we were talking about any number of things uh, if it was a word of encouragement or they were complimenting a job well done, I might say something to the effect of, I, you know, I appreciate that. Clearly that was the Lord, the Lord working or the spirit did this. And I became so convicted that in my workplace, I did not give God credit very quickly or I did not speak in the same way as I did when I was outside of work. So it wasn't as if like there was like deliberate sin I was committing, let's say like a gossip or slander like at work that I, I needed to back off of. It was that I clearly was not using the same type of language, giving God the same type of credit that would be quick and easy to do in comfortable circles that understood my language. So I just started doing that. So even like if I have a job review, if, if I get a compliment, I'll be quick to say, well, honestly, in that situation, that was really just the spirit of God giving me patience during a difficult project or to help, help us see it through. And that is a huge testimony. So I, I would encourage like anybody who thinks, well, there's not much I can do. I think there's a lot you can do by being authentic in your faith and not letting the workplace environment cause you to deviate from giving God glory where you would be quick to give it in another circumstance. Does that make sense? It does. And that's actually, you know, one of those things that I think um, this sort of insight from the Reformation, the, another one, you know, the Reformation reclaimed this idea of work. Um, this sacred secular divide is not something we see in the Bible. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's not clear in history exactly when the church kind of went off the rails with this and divided things into like God's work and the people's work. But um, one of the things that they accomplished was beyond this collapsing the division between sacred and secular was also sort of integrating the whole of life into a single thing. So there no longer was, um, you know, you go to church and the, the priest teaches your family about God, you know, the reformed and the Lutherans too, they wrote catechisms. And now instead of expecting the church to teach your kids, 
or instead of the church teaching your wife, you have a catechism that you go through with your family at home and you lead worship as, as the head of the household. You, you're the one that reminds their kids to do their prayers. You're the one that, you know, teaches them what it means to be holy. And, you know, that extends into work too, is no longer can someone say, well, I'm, I'm just a shoemaker. And so what I do doesn't matter. They're accountable, not just to, um, to their boss, but they're now accountable to God for the quality of their work, um, which, you know, I think probably people would have always realized like, well, I'm accountable to God for what I do, whether I, you know, if I don't do good work, then in some senses, I'm stealing from the people who are paying me to do good work. Um, you know, that's another thing that we could talk about on a different, different night is um, things like time theft. If I don't punch in and out right. when I say I'm going to, if I, um, you know, I have a time a time clock system at work where I can manually enter my punches or I can swipe at a time clock. And there's no difference in what my boss sees, whether I swipe it at the time clock at 1230 or whether I come in at 1245 and manually enter 1230. She's not going to know the difference. Um, but I know the difference and God knows the difference. And one of them is stealing and one of them is ethical. And one of them is is good and right and holy. Um, and so, you know, there's this idea that we need to be holy people, not just in holy places and at holy times. Yeah, because exactly. every place is holy and every time is holy and every context is a holy context where we are called to be God's holy people, no matter what we're doing or where we're doing it. Exactly. I sometimes see this, especially in my own life, as a sovereignty issue in that I think we act practically like we don't believe God has complete control of the places where he puts us to do work. And so we think if it's not, like you said, what we studied or, or that God can't possibly, there are some areas where God has no interest or perhaps again, practically we behave like he has no superior knowledge, even though he's Lord over all things, which would include, of course, the preaching and teaching of his word, which we would think, well, of course, God knows that. Like it's his book. He wrote it and he has vested interest. Like he's biased somehow. But you know, like when it comes to like calculus, like God probably doesn't really care about calculus and right. sure he made the universe, but he has no interest in, in a man-made expression perhaps of mathematical competency in like the universe. But I find it amazing that in the gospels, when Jesus is teaching along the sea and he sets out just a little bit off the shore. He asks if he can use Peter's boat to set out just a little bit off the shore. So he gets a natural application off the water. And the disciples are like, yeah, totally fine with that. They're like, yeah, you want to use the boat to preach? Like, that's fantastic. So he does that. He preaches. And then he says to them, go out and drop down the nets. And they're cleaning. And again, they're like, we listen, we've been out all night. We're fishermen. If you want to use the boat as a pulpit, that's totally fine but let me educate you real quick on how to fish. Yeah. And of course they find that it got, you know, Jesus knew all along and that you know, he leads them to this bountiful, plentiful catch of fish. And they're amazed, surprisingly. And that's how I think we behave a lot of time in our own work. Uh, we forget that he is Lord of all, that he knows all things, is interested in all things, commands all things. And so we, I just take great comfort that yeah, he's the Lord of finance and I should come to him for that kind of knowledge and to excel in it as best I can because he makes no mistakes. So the turn of mind that he's given me, the passion that I have is undoubtedly for him and I want to serve and serve well in that capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
I think that that's probably a good note to end on. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts on tonight's topic? I don't have any closing. I feel like I just like descended off the soapbox there. So I feel like that's, that is my closing thought. Are we like, do we have to fill like a reform quotation quota on this podcast? Like we haven't, I noticed we haven't quoted like Calvin, Luther, Spurgeon. Well, your, your father did uh, chastise me for not having any Spurgeon quotes last week. Yeah. Can you just drop um, a Spurgeon quote on us real quick? I don't know any good Spurgeon quotes off the top of my head. Uh, Let's see. Some, something, something, cigars, something about Beards. a beard. Yeah, beards. I, um, incidentally, I actually have one I've been thinking a lot recently just because I've you know been having some uh, health challenges. I love this quote from Spurgeon where, where he says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. It's a good quote. I hate to burst your bubble, but he may not actually have said that. I read really? an article. Yeah, I read an article. Uh, the other day that was like top 10 sermon quotes that he might not have ever said. Um, he said something very similar to it though. There's Can we find out who said that? I, I think it's probably one of those ones where like he said something similar and it's mutated. Another one that's actually more, probably more applicable to tonight is that quote by Luther where he says something like, you're not a good shoemaker if you put little crosses on the shoes you make, but you're a good shoemaker if you make them to the glory of God or something like that. Yeah, he never said it. But it's it's one of those like vocation quotes that we yeah. you know, if we weren't total amateurs we would have like opened. I like that. that. So the lesson here is don't just put crosses on stuff. You gotta live right. that cross. I'm yeah. trying to re- trying to redeem where this came from. Yeah, yeah. Don't just put crosses on stuff. That's a good that's a good lesson. Yeah, that is a All good right. lesson. I I think we've done our our duty here tonight. We have. So um, if you do want to get a hold of us, if you would like to determine what topic we try to talk about. Uh, you can email us at reformedbrotherhood at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at us uh, at reformedbrohood on Twitter. Uh, I love you that. You can try to find us on Facebook at reformedbrotherhood as well. So, Has anybody um, even contacted us at all? No, no. <laughs> Google thinks we have a bunch of subscribers, but I think Google might be crazy. I think it's just us and maybe our family. I mean, we have kind of a big family, so who knows? Maybe that's it. That that is true, Mom. You can just email me at my normal address. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll wrap that up, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you again next week.